This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I believe that God is ushering our church and ushering you and I into a new dimension, into a new season, and I want to encourage you not miss it. We've been talking about the Hebrew roots. Uh, I have tried to be as clear as I possibly could about the first three feasts, which have already passed. Those were the feasts that represent Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Followed by a fourth feast. The fourth feast was Pentecost. Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit that had been prophesied in the Old Testament on Mount Sinai and had been exemplified there, fell 1,500 years later in earnest on God's people and the church was birthed. Today we live in what is known as the church age. The church age is the age of the Holy Spirit, the age when the Spirit of God has chosen to manifest himself through his people. Not individually, although he works through you individually, the real purpose of the Holy Spirit is to work through the church. It's amazing to me that the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. We live in a nation that believes in spirits. Not all of them are holy. And that's why the Holy Spirit, the very name holy, distinguishes him from every other spirit. Because the word holy means to be separate, to be set apart. There is no other spirit like the Holy Spirit. And you may traffic and you may dabble in other spirits. And other spirits try to infiltrate our lives. Demonic spirits. Spirits of our ancestors. Witchcraft. Spirits that people traffic in to try to control, manipulate, dominate, intimidate. But those are not the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to take us on a little journey. And I want to help you be introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we read the scriptures, there are a number of things that we have to consider when we speak of the Holy Spirit. Most importantly, we must understand the fact that the Holy Spirit Spirit is not an it. I'm always amazed at how many Christians I talk to and they said, do you have it? Do you have what? The Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is not an it. And if you treat the Holy Spirit like an it, then what happens is you begin to see the Holy Spirit as a commodity. You begin to see it as something that you can get. It, It is power. It is a blessing. It is a miracle. No, 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 no. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit benefacts all those things. Miracles and power and all those things are part of the benefits of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not any of those benefits. He's a person. God wants us to have a relationship with a person. Many of our churches today have made the benchmark of their success about attendance rather than the movement of the Holy Spirit. I see many churches and they only can count how many heads they have and how many eyes. And I think it's important that we have attendance, but one of the things that Pastor Bonnie and I have desired to do, and we still desire to do, and even more so today than ever, is that there be less of me and more of him. That there be time given for our worship to bring and exalt God and usher in the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. I believe that church should be about a movement of the Holy Spirit. I think what happens when you think about numbers, you can quickly move to an entertainment model of Christianity. You know, I noticed that many of the 
larger churches around the world, not all, but many, many of them have moved to an entertainment model. And so instead of having room for the Holy Spirit, we have entertainers on our stage. We bring even some of the worldly entertainers because they draw a crowd. And then we kind of put the gospel alongside it. I want you to understand something. I, have, I believe there's a place for entertainment in the world, but it's not in the church. I don't believe that God designed the church to be a stage. I believe that, the, that, that this is an altar, not a stage. I don't believe that you are an audience. You are the body of Christ. And so we have to understand who we are. Because if you just become an audience, then I'm here to entertain you. I'm here to somehow influence you with my eloquence or I'm here to somehow be a great preacher and, and draw you to myself and, and have my following. God forbid that you follow me. Other than in the sense of you follow me like I follow Christ. But you see, the Holy Spirit himself wants to be your teacher, wants to be your guide, wants to be your comforter, wants to be your advocate. You know, the word that Jesus gave was, I will send you another comforter. Well, that comforter is a sevenfold spirit of God, the seven spirits of God who wants to teach you all things and give you an anointing and live inside of you. But he, he does that in the context of the church. You see, and if we become an entertainment model church, that causes us to become self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants that are attuned to the Holy Spirit. Many people are only coming to church for what they can get from God. And today, God would have us die to ourselves and give ourselves to what the Holy Spirit wants in the earth. You see, if we really understood the Holy Spirit, if we really understood his role in our lives and in the church, we would see that he is as essential to the believer's existence as the air that they breathe is to staying alive. You see, the believers of the, of the early church did unexplainable things in their lives and in the communities around them. It didn't make sense to the culture around them. And I believe that ultimately, spreading the gospel of God's grace around the world will not make sense to many in our culture. How many of you know that if you lived on a deserted island and after 20 years were rescued and all you had was the Bible to read, if you came to most churches in the world today, what you see in church and what you read in the Bible would look possibly a little bit strange. Would you agree with me? If all you had to read was the Bible. You see, and I think that it's important that we go back to the scriptures, that we go back to what the Bible has to say. I desire to be a part of a church where relationships are important, where the presence of the Holy Spirit is manifesting in our lives both corporately and individually. If I were the devil and I was trying to thwart the move of the kingdom of God and its purposes, one of my main strategies would be to take the engine out of the car by having those who attend church ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree that you are dissatisfied with the body of Christ is directly connected to the degree that the Holy Spirit is being ignored in your life and in the life of your church. We cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit. You cannot, well, I guess you can have a car without an engine, but it's not very useful. The engine is the power of God, just, or the Holy Spirit is the power of God, just as an engine is the power of a car. You see, the missing something in your life is actually a missing someone. For those of you that have just joined us with Star FM, we're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. 
The Holy Spirit is not a commodity. The Holy Spirit wants a relationship with you. With you. You see, and without him, people operate in their own strength. And if you do that, you only accomplish human-sized results. I want you to know something. The world and people in the world are not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. Because they're not enduring. They're not lasting. They're not eternal. And the church that moves only by human effort simply relegates itself to being a club or some fraternal society. (laughs) Our government defines the church as a club. That's how they treat us. But God defined the church as a government. With a head. We have a king. His name is Jesus. With all authority through the Holy Spirit. You see, we are to be distinguished by the Spirit of God. When he lives in us and through us, we become supernatural. And when this happens, the church cannot help but be different. And the world can't help but notice. And I know we've been trying to be powerful by thinking that we could give out a miracle a minute. But let me tell you something. The power of God is not in miracles. The power of God is in its character. His character in the earth. There are miracles, yes. But the power of his church is a church full of character. I want you to know that I believe that the church around the world and especially here in Zimbabwe and Africa, is at a crossroads. We can sell out to the values and the kingdoms of this world, or we can return to the idolatry of our ancestors with a mixture of the Bible and so-called Christian preaching, or we can reach out to the Holy Spirit. You see, if we do the other two, We simply have capitulated to the world. And instead of speaking meaningfully and insightfully into our culture, we just look no different than the world. We look like everybody else. The Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for our situation today. Now, he's always been vital, but never more than right now. You see, when the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop him. But if he doesn't move, then we cannot produce genuine fruit. If he doesn't move, whatever we're doing is merely the effort of human effort. And no matter how much effort we expend, it's just the best that flesh can do. The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. If the church is just something that we can create, that we can organize, if it's about selling commodities, if it's about numbers, then we've become irrelevant. Apart from the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of the church, we can never be what God intended for us to be. And the church can never achieve what he intended for her to to achieve. Now, there are three subjects in the Bible that are impossible to be understood by the human mind. In fact, they're beyond our comprehension. And they cannot be explained by human words either. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal these truths to us if we're ever going to see them. Think about it. These three things... How do you explain them? How can you understand them? The resurrection. How do you explain the resurrection from the dead? How can I explain to you the Holy Spirit? And how can I explain to you the church? You see, without a revelation, these three most powerful things in the earth cannot be understood. In the book of Genesis, when man was created by the hand of God, the Bible said he was perfect, yet incomplete. Think about that. 
God created something perfect, yet incomplete. All the other creations, all the other things that God created were both perfect and complete. Man alone was the thing that was created as perfect but not complete. We can see this through the scriptures because God needed to give man a helpmeet. He said it's not good for man to be alone, and so he gave him a wife. We see that God also placed before the man the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he allowed man to choose. This shows that man wasn't complete. This shows that he was incomplete, unfinished. In the eyes of God, man had not been completed. Why? Because he could not distinguish between right and wrong. He still needed God as represented by the tree of life in his life. Once man was made out of the dust, he still needed to add to his life God's will and God's life. See, many people teach that, hey, when God created Adam, he was a perfect being. No, God was still at work in Adam's life and has been. When man was made, he was a living creature. But he did not have God's life. He had a soul. A living soul was breathed into him, but it was not God's life. This is a step that still must be taken by man himself. By taking in the life of God as represented by the tree of life, man would be complete. However, instead of eating from the tree of life, man chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man had made a wrong choice, thus denying the work of his own completion. See, the Old Testament describes how God extended his work of his creation. Throughout the whole Old Testament, it tells the story. However good Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were, David and others throughout the Bible might be, in the eyes of God, every one of those men were incomplete. Because they didn't attain to his original plan, the plan of creation. They had God's likeness, but they did not have his image. You see, likeness is your outward appearance, whereas image is your inward nature, your inward character. For 4,000 years, we read in the Old Testament, God continues to work on his creation, man. At the same time, God makes no further improvement on any of his other created things. How many of you know that? How many of you know that God has not created any superior flowers, any superior birds, any superior elephants, no superior animals, no superior horses? These were all perfect and complete from the very beginning. No improvement can be made. See, it's only man that remains incomplete. In Genesis, the first chapter, the 26th verse, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, or after our likeness. You see, likeness refers to external form. It doesn't refer to internal quality. Adam, when he was created, became a living soul. He did not have God's spirit within him. That is why at this stage, he was unfinished. He was incomplete. Adam was still in need of God himself to be in his inward nature. And this was represented by the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, from the beginning of Genesis until the time of Jesus, we have never seen anyone attain to God's required standard of man. Adam looked like God's appearance. In appearance, he was like God, but he was not like God in character. David was a man after God's heart, but he was still a man and never attained to God's character. The effect of the fall is revealed in Romans 3.23. The Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God. 
We've all fallen short. In doing so, we forfeited God's image. I want you to know this is the plight of mankind. This is our condition. No matter how disciplined, how self-improved we become, men cannot attain the goal. Throughout the Bible, we see these examples. We think, oh, there's, there's a man like God. There's a God man. There's a God man. And yet they all fall short before God. This is the difference between the Old and the New Testament. The Old shows that man has not attained God's purposes, while the New tells us that God's desired man has been completed. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the desired man. That man that had never before seen, been seen on earth is our Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, God is the one who sought out and found this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the man, if you will. Just say that. Jesus is the man. He doesn't represent men. He's not our representative. He is the man. He is the representative man. Does that make sense? He is the man whom God has always been after. That's why last week I had some people say to me, Pastor, you were really, you, you, made, you said my life didn't matter. Well, I think your life matters, but there's only two lives that matter in the sense of eternity. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You see, all of us that are in Adam are bound by sin. We can never attain to God's glory. We can never be what God wanted us to be. But when you come into Christ... All that changes. That's why Christ is the hope of glory. That's why the church is the answer for fallen man. You see, when the Lord was on the earth, he was perfect in character. But he was not absolute in power. He was perfect in character, but not absolute in power. His power was restrained. In his 33 years of living on the earth, when there his, his life on earth was incomplete. And he would still be un incomplete unless he was resurrected from the dead. See, the power of the resurrection is everything for us. I know this is beyond our comprehension. In fact, this event requires revelation. Why must Jesus be raised from the dead? Because during his time on earth, his, he was restricted. He was restricted by time and space. How many of you know that Jesus could only get so many places at one time? He could only touch so many people at one time. He's restricted. Here he is, the Son of God. The, he has all power given to him over all the power of the enemy, but he, it's only where he's at. So for people to find Jesus, they had to go to his presence. Even to the place that the Bible says that they had to seek to uncover a roof of a house to get to the presence of God. They had to pass through a thronging multitude to touch the hem of his garment. The Roman centurion, he's the exception. In fact, Jesus says, of all men, this is the man that has faith. It's this faith that the Lord commended. The Bible says, so great a faith. Why? Because he only asked for a word of healing from the Lord when his servant fell sick. You see, when the centurion professed faith, acknowledging that the Lord is beyond the limitation of time and space, God said, there's the faith I'm looking for. That's what I've come to do. I've come to make something greater than time and space. That's why I... I'm sorry to say that if you're running after a prophet or if you're running after a man of God, you've missed it. God does not want you to have the relationship with a prophet or a man of God, myself included, but rather with the Holy Spirit. Your faith must be in the Word of God. Your faith must be in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know something. That centurion, he had revelation. He saw something that none of the children of Israel saw. 
My prayer is that this church and that our nation would see that. Even though the Lord had been conceived and born of the Holy Spirit, and in fact, in character, he'd reached his peak of God's created man, even so, his power was restricted. And therefore, there is a need of a resurrection. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says that God said. God said, thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. In Acts 13, the psalmist who wrote this is quoted again. He says, that God has completely fulfilled this promise to you children by raising up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten, I have fathered you. And as for that fact, he raised him from the dead. Never again to return to decay in the grave. Can I tell you something? (laughs) Do you know how powerful this passage of scripture is? You see, while the Lord was on the earth, he had the possibility of death. But after his resurrection, death was destroyed by him. And he now lives forever. He lives forever. The power of death as well as the possibility of death have both been demolished. And God declared, I want you to understand that God didn't declare this verse of scripture at his birth in Bethlehem. But at his resurrection. See, had Jesus died before he resurrected, there would be no church. There would be no Holy Spirit. There would be no power. The power is in the resurrection. It was only when Jesus had been raised from the dead that he said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And with that, God was finally able to possess the man of his own heart at the resurrection. He loved Jesus at his birth. He loved Jesus in the River Jordan. He loved Jesus when he died on the cross, but he possessed him and the man that could change everything when he was resurrected from the dead. You see, the resurrection eliminates the restriction of time and space. What does that mean to you and I? You know, throughout the Bible, we see instances where the dead are raised. I remember seeing the story of the man, and I used to love this story, where the man, they were trying to bury him, and some Moabites were coming to attack the children of Israel, and they didn't have time to bury him, so they just threw him into the hole, just threw him in. And the Bible says that he landed on the bones of Elisha, the prophet, and there was enough power in those bones to resurrect him from the dead, or at least raise him from the dead. I thought, wow, that's powerful. Then I see Jesus walking and touching a funeral bier of the widow of Nain and her son coming to life. Jairus has a daughter who has died. And Jesus goes into the room and says, Talitha kumi. And oh, she raises from the dead. Amazing stories. And he's a ruler of the synagogue. Even Lazarus. What a great story. He's raised from the dead. Has a resurrection. He returns to life. But what was returned? I'll tell you what was returned to life. Was the soul of those people. They became living souls. But you know what? They all died again. Every one of them died again. There was no permanent resurrection. Lazarus, even when he was raised. He was still bound by grave clothes that needed to be loosened before he could walk. And Lazarus, like all others, eventually had to die. Only the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is of the kind that is not bound by death. He is risen and he dies no more. In the Bible record, only the Lord is resurrected. There's no one else that's been resurrected. In fact, in the history of mankind, there is no What else that's ever been resurrected? In the history of all religion, 
It doesn't matter what religion you are. There's only one who's been resurrected. There's only one who claims to be God, the Son of God and is God. There's only one who is the perfect man, and that's Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, what happened after Jesus was resurrected from the dead? He appears to Mary Magdalene. He says, don't touch me. Why? Because he's in another state. He appears to Thomas, and he's trying to deal with Thomas's faith. Like that centurion, Thomas says, I'll believe when I see, like so many Christians. But he says, no, no. He says, have faith, Thomas. He says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those who have eyes to see, who have revelation, who have the Spirit of God showing them things. He appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they have no idea who he is, but they say, didn't the word of God burn on the inside of you? The spirit of God's ministering something to them. You see, today, the problem is no longer one of his coming and going. How many, how many of you know that even then, Jesus wasn't just coming and going? Then he had a resurrected body. He just appeared. He just, boop, he'd show up and he'd disappear. He'd show up and he'd disappear. But still, he was limited. But when he was ascended into heaven, the Bible says he sent his Holy Spirit so that he could be present with us, so that he could be amongst us. If we live in the Holy Spirit, we can touch the Lord, just like Thomas. Just like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, just like Mary Magdalene, we can touch the Lord. How many of you know that the Lord is in our midst? All obstructions have been removed. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, the Bible says, Being therefore at the right hand of God exalted, and having received the Father of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, that is Jesus Christ, has poured out what you see and hear. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, tongues of fire lit on every man and woman in that upper room. They spilled out into the streets. They began telling of the things of God, the Spirit of God bearing witness. And they began to speak these amazing parables and, and preach. Peter stands up. The people are amazed. They say, how is it that we hear everybody in our own language? And he says, that which you've seen is of the Holy Spirit. This is what you see and hear and are experiencing is the Holy Spirit. That was the birth of the church. That was the birth of the church. Spirit-filled people. Guess what? There are no boundaries anymore. People can be touched with the Holy Spirit through the church, through believers. The Holy Spirit is... Unshackled, unlimited now through you and me. Through you and me. Hallelujah. I don't know if you're getting excited, but for me, I get excited when I start thinking about what Jesus actually did. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit is the power of resurrection. If you touch the Holy Spirit, you're touching resurrection power. You're touching the resurrected Lord. The Holy Spirit testifies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for you and I to be in the Spirit simply means to touch the Lord. That's all it means. Jesus modeled this, and he acted on it. The reason Jesus prayed was so he could be sensitive to his Father's will. The Holy Spirit Minister to him. And by the Spirit of God, he says, I only see, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. He says, I have a relationship and I'm here to let the Spirit of God live through me. To model. While he lived on earth. And now, he says, I give that same comforter. I give that same Holy Spirit to my church so that my spirit can be modeled in the earth. So that what I want to do can be seen in the earth through you. And guess what? Sinful man that you and I are, sinful as we are, like Adam, he's not finished his work in you. 
He's bringing you to completion. Having begun a good work in you, he's bringing it to completion. And what is that? It's resurrection power. It's coming into contact with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's you dying in the life of the Spirit living through you. It's you and I putting aside and having a relationship with the Spirit of God that we might take on God, that we might take on the Spirit of God, that we might take on the Christ-like resurrection power in our lives. Amen? Today, wherever you're at, listening by radio on the, in the car or at your home or right here in this service, I want you to know that the resurrected Lord is able to touch all who are sick, all who are demon-possessed, all who are fearful, all who are broken, all of those who have suffered at the hands of wicked people, all that are in poverty, and he's able to touch you by those who are led by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God dwells in men today. He dwells in his church. The work of the Holy Spirit today is to reveal resurrection power in us and through us. God wants to reveal that. So let me just talk and I'll close with this. What is the vehicle by which God wants to show this power? Is it like the prophets of old? Does God send a man and bless God, the man of God is the answer? No, God uses men of God, but they're not the answer. Is it by some sign and wonder in the heavens? Is it by Jesus himself manifesting himself somewhere in the world? In the, world? the Bible says beware if somebody says he's in the desert or if he's in the temple. He says because it's a deception. No. No, the vehicle that Jesus uses to bring his power is not through prophets, not even apostles, but through his church. His church that is equipped and strengthened, yes, through the teaching of apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. But you have to understand something. All of those are just members of the body. The Lord, Jesus Christ, is the head of of his church. And if he's the head, we are only at best a member of his body. Does that make sense? Look at Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 23. It says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. Wow, his incomparably great power that works for us who believe is the same power, the same mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. That's the same power that works in you. The same power that raised him from the dead works in you. What is that power? Listen to what it says. That power seated him in heavenly realms far above all rule, all authority, all power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. Now listen to this. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. He's head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Whoo, guys. I don't know if you understand this, but that makes the church a very powerful instrument. That makes you, as a member of the church, the body of Christ, a very powerful instrument. You see, the church receives its power from the resurrected and ascended Christ. And because of that, there is no problem the church can't solve. And there's no temptation that the church cannot overcome. The power of the church is the power of the resurrection of Christ that subdues all things under his feet. You see, when Christ was on earth, 
When Jesus was on the church, there was no church. There was no church when Jesus walked the earth. He hadn't been resurrected from the grave. And everything was under restriction. But now, after the resurrection, and after Christ has ascended up to heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit, the church was born. It was on that day of Pentecost that the church was born. That was the day that God filled his people with the power of the Spirit to release everyone from their shackles, everyone from their bondage. The church was born. Hallelujah. The Lord was risen so that the church could become the body of Christ, being filled with the nature of God and becoming the vessel of his resurrected Christ. Christ is the head, the church is the body. As Christ is, so is the church. Christ is unrestricted, and so is his body, the church. The Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. I want you to know something. I don't care how many gates, I believe they're all open to us. We can walk right in. Nothing can prevail against the church. Nothing can prevail against the church. But it requires something of us. As you and I drink of the one Holy Spirit, we become the body of Christ. And when that happens, what we bind is bound. What we bind is bound, and what we loose is loosed. I have to tell you something, that the church may not be what you think it is. We congregate together in local assemblies to be taught and instructed and to be equipped but the church, the Bible says, is where two or three gather in my name. There I am in the midst of you. It takes two of you in your workplace. It takes two of you to agree in prayer. It takes two of you to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there is a quorum for the church of Jesus Christ. Your prayers are effectual. Your lives count. Your holiness is important. He is a Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to be holy even as he is holy. That's why we separate ourselves. That's why we come out from amongst them and we're something different. That's why we say, oh God, would you cleanse me and purify me. That's why it's so hard for some of you. There's days that you say, oh God, I'm never going to make it. I can tell you something. God's coming. He's bringing a revelation and a touch of his Holy Spirit. When you get a revelation of who he is, he cleanses you. He purifies you. He sets you free. When you understand the power of the Holy Spirit, things begin to move. Things begin to happen. And you want to be separate. You want to be holy. You say, oh God, I see my sin. When you see your sin, don't run from him. Run to him. When you see your wickedness, when you see your fault, don't run from him. Run to him. When you have a problem, run to the church. Run to the church. The church is the healing station. The church is where God says, my power resides. Hallelujah. Would to God that the church would rise and the wisdom that we have in the church would be manifest. Think of it. Think of what it can do for nations. Think of what it can do for businesses. Think of what it can do for our institutions. Think of what the wisdom of God can do, the power of God. This is the season where God is filling people with his spirit. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the nation of Zimbabwe. We need an outpouring upon God's people. We need an outpouring in the hearts of men where the wisdom of God and the power of God, the resurrection power can begin to move through us. Because that's the answer for our sin-sick nation. The power of God, not in one institution, not in a church, but in the church. The church. In order for the Lord to have his way on earth today, it doesn't lie in how much our walk has changed or in how much truth we know or in how many miracles there are, but in whether or not there is a people who are willing to pay any cost to know the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and the church.
Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I'll close with this verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord is the labor of the Holy Spirit in the earth. It's the labor of His church in the earth, and it's not in vain. The work of the church is done by the power of the resurrection and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Would to God that we would be such a people. Would to God that this church that God has given me the privilege to preside over would be such a people. Would to God that my life would be such a life that there would be less of me and more of Him. The people wouldn't say, oh, look how wonderful that pastor is. But rather they would say, oh, look how wonderful the Holy Spirit is in that church. Look how they love one another. Look how they move in the power of God. Look at the presence of God that's in that place. That's what I desire. Not that we applaud men, but that God be glorified. Now, wherever you're at this morning, Here's one of the things that God honors. He honors hungry hearts. Can you imagine those disciples that were so disappointed at the death of Jesus? And Jesus began to walk with them after his resurrection, and for 40 days he was with them. For 40 days he talked to them. He instructed them about the kingdom. And they were getting excited. They were saying, oh, this is powerful. They're with the resurrected Lord. He says, but he says, you know what? He says, I, I don't want you to do anything. He says, I know this is exciting. I know you feel my presence. I know that I'm with you. And I, I know that this could be a very powerful thing. He says, but you know what? You're missing something. You're not complete yet. How many of you know that being born again doesn't mean you're perfect? You're not complete yet. How many of you know that it's an incomplete work. You say, what? Jesus paid for it all. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but you're not complete yet. You're like Adam in the garden. You have a chance now to eat out of the tree of life, to take on the Holy Spirit, to be complete, to, to shed and rid yourself of all sin, to shed and rid yourself of, of the destruction and the destructive powers that are at work in you still. The closer you get to the Holy Spirit, the more powerful He becomes in your life. More resurrection power begins to flow through you. Are you hearing me? Those 120 in the upper room, He said, I'm leaving now. He ascended right before them on the Mount of Olives. Boop! Up He goes. He says, but now you, Terry, you wait in the upper room. You just wait until that which I have promised and on the day of Pentecost, now guess what? This was no big thing for them because they've been celebrating this feast for 1,500 years. 1,500 years, they knew what feast it was. They just didn't understand what feast it was. They were doing it in celebration of the day that they had the law given to them on Mount Sinai when the Holy Spirit fell with tongues of fire. Or, or no, excuse me, where, where, the, where God was present with the tongues of fire, where they got the Ten Commandments. Little did they know that God was going to also show up with fire here and give them a new commandment written in their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. A resurrection power. Boy, if the church ever needed anything, we need the power of Pentecost. We need the power of Pentecost. And today, it's not far from us. Those people were hungry. God is always looking for a hungry soul. If you're hungry, He says, come to me and I'll satisfy your thirst. He says, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not only will you be satisfied, but you'll be able to satisfy others. Something will flow out of you. And today, if you say, Pastor, I'm tired, or at least I'm ready to stop living for myself, to stop thinking of the churches for me, but to start, tap, to, I want to start pop, tapping into the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. 
I'll be obedient. I'll let him do his work of purification and consecration and sanctification in my life. I'm going to let God have his way with me. But I want the Holy Spirit. Would you fill me today with your Holy Spirit? There's more than two of us here. I think there's more than two of us that want that. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to stand in just a minute. And I want to give anybody that has never been filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If that's happened, if you've never been filled with the Spirit, evidence by speaking in tongues, I want you to, when we stand, to get out of your seat, bring your stuff with you, and come to the front of the church. Here at the altar, we're going to pray for you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit today. For the rest of you, you say, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I didn't understand that God was trying to work resurrection power through me. I didn't understand that this was a work. And like Adam, I've been born again. And I'm part of the new family of God, redeemed. And God's doing a redeeming work in me by His power so that I could become powerful for Him. See, some of you are waiting for the pastor to come and save the people at your workplace. Some of you are waiting for a prophet to come and have a big crusade so that everybody can get saved. I'm going to tell you something. God's sending you. God wants you filled with the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to preach at Him. You just have to be there. And like Jesus, the Bible said, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's all God wants for you. Just to go about and do good and heal all who are oppressed of the devil. Be a vehicle, be a vessel that says, Holy Spirit, I'm here today and I'm a little bit afraid. And I don't know how to talk to everybody. And I'm slow of speech. I'm like Moses. I can see him in the Old Testament. He didn't get perfect, but you worked with him. And oh, I see, you know, that David made some mistakes and I made some mistakes, but I, I see that you still use David and, 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 I, and none of them were the perfect men, but I, I'm not looking to them. I'm looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter. If you could use me today, use me today, Holy Spirit. Use me the way I am and I'll, I'll let you use me. Does that make sense? That's the message of the gospel. That's the power of a person. You're not talking about a force. You're talking about a person. He'll guide you. He'll talk to you. He'll instruct you. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.